New community, welcome to our Sunday gathering. Over the past few weeks, we have been meeting over the form of a podcast, and uh, we wanted to talk with you guys about where we're at and where we're going and why we are doing what we are doing. And so today, along with Kevin, Russ, and myself, we have invited Hope and Greg to join us in this conversation as they are two of our elders. Um, just to share with you guys what we've been thinking about and where we want to go together as a community as we are not able to meet in the larger community on Sunday mornings right now. Thanks, Julie. So, um, yeah, typically on Palm Sunday, we discuss uh, a passage out of Matthew, Matthew 21, which um, we'll actually come back to a little bit later in a podcast this morning with some reflection centered around it. And... um, that has typically been uh, the message that is preached and discussed over the course of the weekend. But now that we're a few weeks in to this new reality and um, some normalcy is setting in, it felt like it might be a time to give a vision to our community as to what this new normal actually looks like for us moving forward and um, what can people expect and uh, plan on for the following weeks and or months, if that's where we're at. Um, And so in a lot of ways, um, we've been playing catch up to get to the point where we're at now, uh, as I know many people have. And now that we feel like we've got a little bit of our feet underneath of us, it's, uh, it's time to try to get a vision for where we're going and what new community looks like in this new reality. So that being said, I'm going to start with uh, our first question. I'm going to aim it at Russ. Russ, why are we not meeting right now on Sunday morning? Uh, Help us to understand that because you can read headlines and uh, know that there are churches that are continuing to meet, but um, maybe talk to to us a little bit about the tension that we live in and uh, why we're planning to move forward in the way that we are. Yeah, thanks for directing that towards me. I appreciate it. Uh, we, uh, I would say this, before we even talk about why we're not meeting, I think it's just important for us to say that uh, we absolutely miss community. I miss gathering with people on a weekly basis. I miss seeing um, friendly faces. I miss engaging in uh, all forms of worship while we're together. And um, just because we feel that tension uh, I think it's it de- creates a desire, really, to want to gather. Uh, but we also believe it's best in terms of uh, not only following some of the local and state authorities on what it looks like to limit social gatherings, uh, but I also think it sends a good message to uh, the broader world or the broader uh, United States uh, to be um, not only aware of authority, but also conscious of the decisions you make. So even if we had permission to meet in groups of, let's say, 50 or 100, uh, we may have decided not to do that anyway uh, in, because I think it's really a safety issue. Uh, I think this is something that uh, we have to be wise about um, in terms of caring for our city, loving the people uh, that we live around and near. Um, so I think there's a, a wisdom um, component that causes us to uh, not meet on a regular basis. Uh, how did we come to those decisions? I mean, is that something that uh, we just decide uh, a couple of us at our staff meeting or, or what? maybe give us an idea of what that process actually looked like? Uh, so this process happened just like almost every other uh, decision we make that's larger or more collective. 
Um, we began to talk about it at the staff level, began to pray about it, uh, asked the elders to do the same. Uh, as we began to think and pray, uh, we got a real clear sense of direction uh, as a whole group. Once we um, understood uh, maybe where we felt like the Spirit was leading us, then we uh, talked about how best to communicate that to the community at large. Uh, so uh, it was not a decision that we came to lightly, but it's one where we get all of the input of small group leaders, we get the input of staff, we get the input of elders, uh, and then we make collective decisions based on communal discernment. Would you add anything to how we came to that conclusion? Um, no, I mean, the, in terms of the process, that's exactly how it happened. I think, um, like every decision, you do your best and, um, you, you prayerfully and thoughtfully try to, um, think through all of the ramifications on either end, uh, when you make a, a, a pretty significant decision like this. And, um, I, I have felt like our elders, our staff, uh, are with the amount of knowledge that we have, are uh, doing our best to try to figure out how do we continue to invest deeply into uh, our church community? How do we continue to hold our values um, uh, to where they should be held, um, but also follow the orders of uh, local authorities and state authorities. And uh, like you mentioned, there's significant tension in some of these decisions. And so um, will we look back three years from now and, and uh, assuredly know it was the right decision? I hope so. But um, all I know is that we're, we're trying to do our best with the information that we have, uh, also with the conviction to care for people, care for our church community, care for those outside of our church community, and uh, continue to be disciples of Christ in what is a completely unprecedented time. I, I would add uh, another thing that I've been kind of thinking through as a result of this. Sometimes when, you're, uh, when decisions are made for you or you're put into a situation like this where um, not only is the government making a decision or local authorities are suggesting certain things, I do think it creates a unique opportunity for us to begin to think about um, discipleship outside of the box, right? Um, we, as church in America, get so accustomed to one particular way of doing things. And while new community probably breaks from some of the norms in terms of the way churches might function, uh, it still presents um, a unique opportunity for us to ask the question, how are we discipling? What does that look like? Are there more creative ways to do it? Or are there ways that we can uh, utilize the current situation we're in to actually maximize the growth of people during a trying time? Yeah, that's good, Russ. Um, so we are doing the podcast. And um, I, guys, honestly, I feel like we're getting a little bit better each week. We are okay. really good at this. It sounds like maybe the rest of you don't <laughs> really agree with that this. statement. Um, but, I just uh, like that you're patting us on the back. I, yeah, I know. Uh, I, I need a little bit of affirmation right now. Um, Kevin, you're doing so, great. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so uh, clearly in the first couple of weeks, there has been, we have already got a little bit of a rhythm, uh, a little bit of a structure and uh, continuing on with liturgy and uh, shared confessionals and readings uh, has been something that we've implemented into our podcast. Um, 
Whereas you could go to many different podcasting sites and find just a 30 or 45 minute sermon if you wanted around a uh, specific scripture. So why have we uh, continued on with liturgy? And maybe I'll pose this question specifically to Greg uh, because of our elders, he has tended to be one that um, uh, thinks really contemplatively and really values that and, uh, and values liturgy in our, um, our expression and practice of church. And so, uh, Greg, explain to us or help us to understand why continuing on with liturgy in a podcast format uh, has been an important value for us and something that I assume that we'll continue to do. Yeah, thanks, Kev. Um, so liturgy is, is unique in that it connects those who participate in it uh, to a larger body of believers. Um, you look at mainline denominations that have practiced liturgy for a long time, the Catholics and the Lutherans and um, Episcopalians and Methodists, et cetera. Like, it's a rhythm that people can, um, can kind of hold on to. And I think in times of uncertainty and times of, of just really kind of, of what can feel like a lack of stability, something like liturgy can actually be incredibly comforting and uh, can root our listeners, even in a podcast format, um, to something familiar. And so while we could just have a sermon and talk about a scripture and and kind of do the standard podcast thing, and that's fine, uh, I think what we've decided on and landed on is that we want something in addition to that 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 people can can hold on to that feels... um, bigger than a, a one Sunday sermon or a one-off. Um, because right now, like I said, there are a lot of things that feel like they lack stability and liturgy can be a way that we lean into stability and tradition. That's good. I've, uh, <clears throat> so if, if you know me that liturgy has not been something that has been, um, a practice of mine outside of the context of new community, but, in the first few uh, podcasts, it has actually been, I have found it to be really, really helpful uh, just to center and to uh, get to a place, especially in the podcast environment when there's a lot of distractions that uh, can be around you. It has helped to really center me and to almost like prepare me for whatever the discussion is, whatever the, the conversation is afterwards. So I, I know for me personally, for my family, it's, uh, it's been a valuable thing, and I hope it is for our, the entirety of our community. Um, great. Thank you uh, so much for filling us in on the liturgy. Could you give us a little bit more on what exactly like a liturgical service is or what liturgy means? Sure. So kind of in the, in the most basic sense, liturgy is, is a practiced order. Uh, of how you would move through parts of a service. Um, I was born and raised Catholic, and every Mass you went to uh, was liturgical. You would uh, sing a song, and then you would experience um, Scripture reading, one Scripture from the Old Testament, then the New Testament, then the Psalms, then the Gospel. And then you would go through the liturgy of the Eucharist, where, um, where the Church would, would share in communion together. And every service or every mass in the Catholic tradition had this order. And um, there's a risk in doing that every week and that it becomes just this tradition that you blindly follow. Uh, but I think one of, the, one of the strengths of new community is that uh, we use liturgy sparingly enough that when we do, people are like, oh, okay, this means this, this means this, this means this. 
Um, but yeah, in the in the rawest sense, liturgy is simply an order of how we go through a service. Yeah, one of the things that I uh, love about liturgy, it literally means the work of the people. And um, I think in today's culture, what we typically talk about when we talk about a service is the work of the few on the behalf of the many. So what we end up seeing is a small set of people doing most of the work for the whole gathered group. But the work of the people implies this idea that it's participatory, that you are participating in the very uh, creation of the gathering, as well as uh, the very words that are echoed back and forth to each other, as maybe the one who's leading the service versus the one who's participating in the service. Um, it also creates a rhythm of um, a call to worship where we're invited to, to think and reflect on who Jesus is, uh, times of prayer, times of confession. Um, it, it means that throughout the course of a gathered time, uh, we're really speaking into all forms of faith, all forms of worship. Um, and that's what I love about it, is that it's so participatory and it's not... Uh, from a small group to the whole, but from the full group of the people working together to create a worship experience uh, with God. I'm glad you said that because I think in this time, I think that's one of the things that I've actually missed the most um, and that I've been most reminded of is that new community has never been about one person or one personality or one small group of staff or elders, but it is about the people of new community. And I think that is one of the tensions that we feel in this time is that we don't ever want this to become about the staff or the elders or just the small group, but we want this to be about the people, which is why we're trying to bring in more interviews and have more of a discussion setting and figure out ways for our community and our groups to be talking and on Zoom and being the people of the church um, and being the church. And I just, in this time, I'm reminded of how much I love our community and our people and how much I miss the work of the people as a whole. Yeah, Julie, you mentioned this idea of um, even listening to the liturgy together as a group over Zoom or some other platform. Um, I mean, I would highly encourage that in part because I think what is happening throughout the United States right now and, and likely other parts of the world is that people are getting into a solo expression of their faith. So they sit in front of a screen and the songs are sung at them. The talk is given to them and they're just consumers, consumers of a religious goods and services. And I think what we have to figure out as a community is, how do we engage in this stuff collectively? How does this not become just a uh, top-down or from the front of the stage to the back of the auditorium, but can it really be something where we collectively listen, we create discussion, that after um, you know digesting the particular liturgy for that week or reading through the passage, that it, it causes us to engage and connect to other people in our small groups and in the community at large. Uh, does that bring up any other thoughts or questions related to liturgy? 
Um, well, just one basic question that I have. So um, we are going to do a liturgical service, which I think is awesome and a great way to um, bring in the community. Are we also going to have a typical sermon? That is a great question. Uh, and the answer to that is likely no. Just that. Just no. <laughs> you want me to deliberate on that a little bit more? Um, well, again, I, I think it creates a um, more of a consumer mindset. It creates uh, just us communicating information from, again, from one to the many. Uh, while that can be helpful, I think there are uh, numerous opportunities to listen to uh, a particular talk online or uh, other other podcasts, uh, but there's less that is design, being designed right now that I think is intended to try to be participatory, uh, that allows you to engage with it uh, rather than just um, consume it and take it in. Uh, it's also why we've moved to this idea of not doing um, video hosting. Uh, so some people have maybe asked the question, will we ever do video and um, why do we not uh, create, um, what do you call it, um, just a service where people can tune in and everyone's live and we live stream it or whatever. Uh, I think part of why we've opted to not go that direction and, and without kind of restating why liturgy is so important, I think that when you move toward a live feed kind of focus, and this is not a statement against uh, any other community that chooses to do that. There, there can be um, communities that are set up to uh, engage in faith that way. Uh, but I do think there's some inherent downsides. One of those is that it creates a cult of personality. Uh, the idea that there's one primary speaker that has uh, giftings to speak and that everyone else within the church, whether that's a church of 200 all the way up to a church of 20,000, that it must mean that no other person within that community has that gift uh, if we're just going to highlight one person's gift all of the time. Um, I think the more we can uh, utilize the gifts of many within um, the church, the better off we'll be. I also think it causes us to focus on the production of the, uh, or the quality of the music or the quality of uh, what was produced rather than keeping the focus on what is it that we're actually talking about? Um, what are the discussion points about? What is uh, the discipleship we're seeking uh, to lean into or to create or to participate in? Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Would you? Would uh, either, any of you add to that why we currently are not um, doing video? Yeah, I think um, one thing to be aware of is that and you touched on this, Russ, I think different churches pursue their role in the body of Christ differently, right? And mm -hmm. a lot of um, a lot of churches that, that do the video thing and kind of um, pursue maybe more of a produced feel, uh, and this isn't exclusively the case, but oftentimes the case are more evangelistic in nature and they're reaching out to people that maybe... It's their first time setting foot in a church, and, and part of that experience is learning like, okay, I can enjoy this on a Sunday and lean in here and start to engage. And um, I think we've said this a million times, but Newcom is small group based and uh, 
in those small groups, we're pursuing deep discipleship and deep community. And that's, um, it's not that we don't want to be, uh, evangelical or, or out, outward reaching, but, um, but also that there's a bigger emphasis, I think, on that discipleship piece that looks a little different on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I also think that, uh, if you, um, if you're delivering information to a mass group of people, or it's intended to go to as many people as possible, uh, the typical approach you take is approach of delivery, and you try to standardize your message. So what I mean by that is you try to give a message that um, could be heard by somebody in India, heard by somebody in Alabama, heard by somebody in Washington, and they're going to receive it the same way. And so you try to standardize it rather than to nuance it to a particular community. So everything we're trying to do is um, intended to be delivered just to new community. There's no intention of people outside of new community um, really wanting to engage in it. Now, if they do, fantastic. But uh, the entire focus of what we're trying to do is trying to be as specific as possible with what we're communicating to be toward a community in a fixed place in time in a city and um, and to use this opportunity as an opportunity for us to collectively grow. I think additionally, it moves us from the idea of, again, religious goods and service being delivered to people uh, into a space where we're really asking people to debrief or have a conversation or a dialogue. We want to move away from didactic teaching and move more into uh, this idea of whatever it is that's being communicated should move us into behavioral change. It should move us into um, renewed ideas, it changed uh, heart and mind, it should give us um, uh, changed emotions really about the things that we're talking about. So I think those things happen most when when you dialogue, when you debrief about it, when you wrestle with the implications of how you might apply what it is you're learning or, or talking about, uh, rather than just bullet points of information that you receive and then um, and maybe don't necessarily integrate into life as well. Russ, as you were speaking, I was also thinking about this idea of, about evangelizing and versus discipleship and being a community this uh, platform being for our community and our heart in evangelism is always go together and do this together. And this idea of not just one person coming on and watching and being like, Oh, I'm a part of a new community. There's because I follow this one stream or this one podcast, but it would be me inviting somebody to sit with me and listen to the podcast and have a conversation together and take that step together or invite somebody into the group, into our small group conversation. And, um, walk where we're at with the people around us, whether they're in our group or not, but to reach out to those we know and love and come alongside of people. And I think this is part of, I mean, this is kind of the part of the DNA of who we are. And this is how we're trying to do our very best in being new community in a setting that is a really strange setting, uh, not being able to be face to face with people because that is so much about of who we are. Yeah. So, Julie, what you're talking about really is uh, a philosophy of ministry. And I think it's so important for us to recognize that 
what we're calling new community to do is not to invite people to come to a service so that uh, Kevin can stand up front and tell them how to trust Jesus. We're asking people to actually do the work of the ministry, which is what we're all called to do. And we're supposed to support and prepare God's people to do that work. So it looks like us doing our best as elders and leaders to help our community share the good news of Jesus with their friends in their neighborhood or on their soccer team or, you know, in their backyard barbecue so that people might do that relationally rather than programmatically. So instead of us just creating a program that does that for you, we're asking you to take the deeper step, which is to actually live into that calling and, uh, and to have us do our best to assist you in that. Yeah, in a way, too, um, it reminds me of uh, like a, almost an extension of that ministry philosophy is part of the reason why we have shared teaching as well. Uh, now, certainly, uh, Russ is kind of our primary communicator, but we have placed a high value on additional voices up front on the Sundays where we do gather um, to speak from the scripture and to, uh, to bring that gospel message to our church community. It's again, why we have, uh, on this podcast, um, two, three, four, five people in, uh, on a different, uh, Sunday, all bringing a different perspective and, um, speaking the good news because it's, uh, again, a way that we live into the value that it's not just one primary voice and it's not just one person that needs to do this, but our uh, our collective wisdom and uh, our community can all come and bring uh, an important perspective and an important uh, word of truth and encouragement to others. Um, so I do have another question. So one of my favorite times at New Community is greeting time. And if anybody's ever actually been to the service, you know that our greeting time is like awkwardly long, but it's like one of my favorite parts of the whole service. Are we doing anything to um, help people get to know one another in this time of quarantine? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is something that in each of our staff meetings we talk about and is heavy on our hearts and trying to figure out ways for that for people to feel connected and to find community, especially people who maybe have thought about joining a group but haven't yet or are newer to the community or um, maybe just are hesitant to do that. This is a harder time for them, I would think. Uh, but I would say joining things like our community prayer times, uh, reaching out to the staff and asking how to be connected right now. We would love to sit and talk with you over Zoom or over a phone call um, and even potentially connect you to some groups who are meeting over Zoom right now. Um, but there are plenty of ways to still get connected. It just takes a step uh, that is maybe harder than meeting somebody face-to-face -face on a Sunday service. But I would say that's always how we've operated. If we want community, we will get it if we put that effort in. So if you are listening and you don't have those connections yet, I would really, really encourage you to reach out to one of us. Uh, all of our emails are on the website and we would love to help connect you to people who um, are at similar stages of life as you, different stages of life, uh, just people who are excited to connect with you and to meet you. Uh, well, you mentioned small groups, um, Kevin and Julie, maybe you could talk about 
uh, ways to stay connected to group or ways that you can uh, lean into uh, this idea. We're, we would say, and part of our mission statement or our vision statement for the community is that we're a small group driven church. And I think this actually gives us even more of an opportunity to lean into that ethos. So can you both maybe share a little bit more on how do we do that well? Uh, yeah, I, I'd say a couple of things. One, I'd say um, it's challenging and it's difficult. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I would say maybe a couple of things. First and foremost, it's I think we do have to acknowledge this is this is a challenging time for this. And so um, even the most connected people and the people that have uh, the deepest connections uh, through small group and service opportunities and volunteerism in all of the different ways are feeling distant and are feeling um, separated. And that's just the reality of where we're at. So some of it, I think we have to hold loosely and uh, and say, okay, this is again, a new season, a new reality, and let's operate under that pretense. Um, I th- so I'll give you a couple of examples of things that our our group personally is doing. We used the app GroupMe uh, last week, and because we are not meeting, we just did kind of long updates via the that app me or the GroupMe app. Sorry, where people could uh, simply write a couple of paragraphs about where they're at and uh, different types of ways that we can be praying for individuals. And um, it was uh, it's kind of the the best way for us in real time to keep up with what's going on uh, individually with people in our group. This week, we're going to try a, uh, for our first time, a Zoom small group call. And um, my guess is it will be a little crazy with kids running around and uh, different people in and out of it. But um, these are these are the ways that we have to use technology to our advantage uh, in this season to make sure that we are staying connected. One of the things that I would say beyond that is maybe more oriented towards our small group leaders. I think the onus falls a lot on our small group leaders right now to recognize who is in their group and to uh, personally reach out to individuals and make sure that uh, they are shepherding and caring for and pastoring people in their group individually where they need to be. And so, um, and and maybe I'd extend it, it doesn't necessarily need to be small group leaders, but um, our people in our small groups should be actively doing that. And this is, again, maybe a way that we lean in to discipleship a little bit more in this time and um, and take on the responsibility of uh, reaching out and making sure that those who we're connected with are cared for and are being remembered. And then that extends beyond group too. So uh, we all know people, whether you're in a group or not, that um, maybe are on the fringes to a degree and to keep those people in mind, to continue to pray, and then to continue to reach out and make sure that those people are being um thought of and cared for and loved even amidst uh, not being able to geographically be close to one another. Yeah, Kevin, I would echo what you were saying uh, with the idea that yes, small group leaders, I know small group leaders are doing that right now and are doing a great job of, I was just talking with somebody who their small group is, they meet on Sunday mornings over Zoom and they listen to the podcast and they have a discussion about it and it has been a great thing for them. Um, But I would also echo that I do think it is all of our responsibilities right now to do that, to reach out and to think outside of ourselves. And I would challenge us as a community to do more than just text and say, hey, how are you doing? But to pick up the phone and have a conversation and for people to hear each other's voices and to think about those people 
in your life who uh, just might need that right now, whether they're in your group or not. Um, but to not wait for others to simply take care of you, but to reach out and take care of others. Uh, thinking through how this is not like a perfect kind of like structure of people, right? We, we've got a, a bunch of people and, and we're not connecting with each other. Hope for, what do you think people who aren't quote unquote designated leaders, how do they engage maybe in a leadership type way with, with people that they're connected with? Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a great question, Greg. Um, so I think that this is a perfect opportunity for people to um, step up and become leaders. And I think that we all have different ways to lead and God has gifted us in all different um, ways to love people and to um, be the hands and feet of Jesus. And um, we make up the church. So I think that right now it's the perfect opportunity for people to reach out, kind of um, reiterating what Julie said, to call friends, to make Zoom calls, to um, maybe step up in ways that you have been knowing that you should, but haven't had the time um, for those that have extra time, for those that don't have extra time because their kids are at home, um, to just do what you can. You know, um, call a friend, write a note. Um, yesterday during my kids' nap time, I decided I was going to write letters to all of my college friends. So I did that. And, um, I think that there's little, little ways that we can think outside the box and be creative and loving people. Yeah. And I would say that part of our responsibility then is to also receive that and to, uh, it's an important part of community and faith to be vulnerable and to receive help and to receive love from others as well. So to pick up that call when people are calling and to embrace being embraced, do you mean just receive it or do you mean also ask for it? I think that's a great question. I think all of it. I think this is a time where we just have to be honest and vulnerable. And I think we do have to ask for it. I don't, I, it is, I will not know my group's needs um, unless one, I'm asking them, but then two, unless they're sharing them with me. And so I think we have responsibilities as followers of Christ to do both and to put ourselves out there a bit and to throw out where we're at and our needs, um, but also to ask what those needs are and to think outside of yourself, even if you're in a hard spot. Um, it's a give and take right now, but I think it, community is most beautiful when that is happening on both parts and all parts and when we all participate in those ways. Yeah, I was on a, a Zoom call with uh, the small group I'm a part of uh, the other night, and uh, it was fantastic. We laughed. Uh, we enjoyed each other. We talked about things that we're um, reading and uh, shows that we're watching, and we did like a check-in with everybody. Um, but it struck me as even people were sharing um, and describing the highs and lows of uh, having families in a state of uh, discombobulation and no structure and trying to figure out what that looks like. Uh, what struck me is that how easy it would be for me to communicate or anyone else in our group to communicate a certain level of vulnerability, a certain amount of uh, here's what I'm struggling or here's where I feel lonely or here's um, what's been difficult for me, um, and still yet hold back a lot of what I'm really feeling or what I'm really struggling with. Um, so I think 
making sure that not only are you willing to ask those questions and not only are you willing to ask for somebody to reach out to you or to engage in those ways, but when you are asked to truly be vulnerable, to be willing to say, this is where I'm at and it was a really tough day and it was frustrating, you shoot a text off to someone. Or, hey, I'd love to get 15 minutes on a call with you because, man, I just feel like I need to hear another adult's voice. I feel like all I'm doing is talking to my kids about what they need to do or pick up or stop doing or whatever. Um, so it might be a time for us to lean into vulnerability as a community more. Uh, all of this conversation about connection has also reminded me that there are a lot of people that we interact with um, it kind of in the normalcy of our lives that aren't connected to a church congregation. And those people might even be feeling a more acute sense of isolation and loneliness. And it's um, could be a critically important time for us to reach beyond our church family and reach out to those uh, whose experience right now is uh, is filled with loneliness and they don't have uh, a podcast to necessarily go and listen to uh, or a small group leader calling and checking into them and how they're doing. So uh, I think that's an important reminder. And um, uh, beyond that, as we talk about small groups, as we talk about uh, being connected within the church, um, we use the phrase small groups a lot, but um, we also have tried to communicate over and over that you don't have to be a part of a small group, an active uh, small group that meets on a Wednesday night to actually practice and live this stuff out. There are many people that are deeply connected and live into the value of community without being a part of uh, a formalized small group. And uh, to continue to push our, the entirety of our community in those ways, I think is uh, really, really important. So Russ, let me, uh, let me kind of jump maybe onto a, a different train of thought. One of the things that we have decided is that we are going to pivot away from Colossians, uh, our study of the book of Colossians for uh, this season. Can you help us to understand maybe why we've made that decision and what the following weeks might look like for us? Yeah, we have definitely decided to pivot from Colossians. We've been going kind of verse by verse or section by section uh, through the letter from Paul. And... Um, I think Colossians leans a little bit more toward a more traditional uh, upfront uh, communication style uh, instead of a, and it and maybe do, isn't as um, discussion oriented. And so instead, what we want to do over the, the next few weeks uh, post Easter is really to lean into this idea of what does it look like to practice the presence of God? If uh, Brother Lawrence can practice the presence of God while washing dishes uh, or while gardening, there might be something to learn about what it looks like to uh, be known by God and to know and experience God in the mundane. Um, I think I would describe my current life as the mundane. Uh, I get up, I uh, have breakfast. I sit on Zoom calls for six hours. I um, feel like it, it's a bit of a Groundhog's Day repeat uh, over and over. And so the question becomes, how do you experience God in that? How do you experience God now with all of your family at home and no routine? How do you experience Him while uh, not only did you have to do dishes once uh, on a typical basis, but now you're doing them two and three times 
a day because your kids are all home and uh, eating you out of house and home. Uh, so I, I think really asking that question, how do you experience God in the mundane? And so each week we'll look into a different practice, a different way of experiencing the presence of God. Um, and really, uh, yeah, try to lean into that for the next little season. And in addition to that, I think we're going to try to implement a few other things that go beyond Sunday. So while you typically have a liturgy on Sunday morning, a time to uh, hear a particular passage read and some conversation or discussion around it, um, we're also going to add some additional midweek opportunities and then some other things that come out on Sundays uh, in the weeks ahead uh, that will continue, I think, to guide our community into uh, following Jesus. Uh, Julie, do you want to speak a little bit about um, what are the kids community and uh, youth ministry side of our church looks like uh, in this season? Uh, yeah. So one of the things that I think is really great about new community is our kids and our youth and our youth leaders and our kid leaders. And um, in this time, Brittany and Melanie have both been doing an incredible job of trying to provide resources for parents, but also trying to find ways to create community amongst kids. So Melanie has been having youth group over Zoom each Sunday night. Uh, she's also been dropping off she dropped off some things at every kid's house, uh, little checklists of things that they can do throughout the week and ways to, for them to just engage in this time, engage with the Lord, and also just engage in some ways like being off your phone for three hours at a time. And, and then she checks back in with the kids on Sundays and throughout the week. And it's just, it's just been really neat. I've actually seen a lot of excitement amongst the kids and a lot of encouragement amongst them and the parents, and it's been great. Um, and I know she's going to continue to think through these things and be creative in this time. And Brittany as well has been doing some incredible things and in providing parents with resources, uh, the lessons that they can do with their kids as new community has always been a place that we have said that our value is to come alongside of parents because parents are the primary disciplers. She is continuing to do that. She's coming alongside and providing support and resources for parents to be the primary discipler. And providing lessons for kid for parents to go through with their kids. She's provided videos uh, of herself talking with the parents and with the kids, and trying to create that connection point as well, but also still pointing back to the discipleship being um, in the hands of the parent and for the parents to be walking through it with their kids. So both Mel and Britt are going to continue to lead us really well in this time and care for our kids really well and continue to make sure that they are connected and experiencing life in community as well. Uh, Greg, you've probably had conversations with Brittany a little bit about uh, her approach, why she's doing what she's doing, maybe why she did the video. Um, as two people coming from a teaching background and uh, both caring well for the kids in our community, um, maybe explain why she's taking the approach and why Mel is taking the approach uh, to lead like they have. Sure. So I think one of the things we know about the way um, kids and youth learn is that the more that they are uh, engaged in information and in a topic, um, the more their learning is going to be is going to be better. So when um, when kids are watching a video of Brittany explaining or or uh, maybe 
one of her volunteers reading a story instead of uh, just listening to it. They're going to have multiple styles of learning, both auditory and visual, that they're that they're engaging in. And so their comprehension um, and their level of engagement is going to increase. And so uh, while we can listen to podcasts and still stay relatively engaged, I think um, it's more beneficial for kids to have multiple avenues of, of engagement. And so that's why Britt um, has opted for videos as well as um, what she can do over a podcast. Yeah. And I would just say this, uh, I know that um, Britt and Mel both have offered uh, kind of general resource pages and, um, and those are really helpful, but I know that they're both open to um, individual conversations and emails or phone calls with parents. And, and I think sometimes when, you know, people hear like, oh, give me a call if you have any questions or whatever, it, it almost feels like a generality. But I know that they would both be super excited for um, individual conversations for parents that want additional help um, at home with kids. We, I mentioned a few minutes ago that we're going to make uh, other things available over the coming weeks. Uh, some of what we have in mind uh, we're going to release uh, some guided meditations, an opportunity for you as a group uh, or as a family uh, to reflect on a passage of scripture and think about how that particular scripture might influence your life. Uh, it's an opportunity for you, maybe with a set of friends or um, all of the guys or all of the girls in a particular small group or um, maybe people that you work with that you know uh, would like an opportunity to just meditate on Scripture. These would be um, made available throughout uh, the coming weeks. We're going to do some uh, other, while we're doing the Practicing the Presence of God uh, um, series of uh, Sundays, we'll probably create opportunities for you to just engage in some practice um, of those things. So there might be opportunities for us to do some practical hands-on um, kinds of learning that um, even though our primary way of gaining information as adults is just information processing, there's still something to be had about uh, engaging in active forms of learning. And so we're going to try to lean into that a little bit as well. Uh, and then uh, for Good Friday, we're working to create a way for you to experience the Stations of the Cross um, as a family or as a small group. Uh, and we'll be working on that over the next week as well. To anyone listening, thanks for being a part of uh, our time together today on Palm Sunday. Um, hopefully you got a better picture of maybe some of the philosophy behind why we do what we do. Um, and then... My hope is that the liturgy was encouraging and uh, an opportunity for you to reflect on Palm Sunday and the majesty of Christ uh, moving into Jerusalem and at the same time, the heartbreaking nature of his uh, weeping over the city and then um, tossing the tables and, and wondering uh, if anybody is actually paying attention. Is anyone catching what he's trying to do? May we be a community that really catches what Jesus is about, and may we live into that well. I want to encourage you, um, make sure you check out new-community.com backslash Sunday gatherings. Uh, if you've just been listening to the podcast but not been going to that particular link, that link provides 
written forms of the liturgy. Uh, there's a curated worship list uh, that goes out each week. Uh, there are other interviews and other information that is uh, assembled on that. So it's new-community.com backslash Sunday gatherings. Welcome, new community, to our Sunday service. This is Palm Sunday. Please join me in a call to worship. Lord Jesus Christ, on the first Palm Sunday, you entered the rebellious city where you were to die. Enter our hearts, we pray, and subdue them to yourself. And as your disciples bless your coming and spread garments and branches in your way, make us ready to lay at your feet all that we have and are that we too may bless your coming in the name of the Lord. This is adopted from the Church of Scotland. Um, please join me in a prayer of confession. O Lord, who on this day entered the rebellious city that later rejected you? We confess that our wills are as rebellious as Jerusalem's. Our faith is often more show than substance. Our hearts are in need of cleansing. Have mercy on us, Son of David, Savior of our lives. Help us to lay at your feet all that we have and all that we are, trusting you to forgive what is sinful, to heal what is broken, to welcome our praises, and to receive us as your own. This is written by John Perlberg. prayer posted by Christine Jarrett. Pray with us. On your way to Jerusalem, precious Lord, you are on your way to suffering and death for the sake of our freedom and our salvation. This is mystery and wonder. Our hearts overflow into songs of praise. Hosanna, we cry with the crowds. Blessed are you who comes in God's name. Yet you puzzle us. You puzzle us with your suffering love that is more powerful than our brokenness. You puzzle us with your freely chosen humility that brings blessings in our weary places. You puzzle us with your forgiveness that summons us beyond our hurt. Liberating Savior, you make us uncomfortable so that you can lead us into more life and deeper wonder so that God can take who we are and break us open and bless us and give us to the world. Grant us grace to welcome this holy restlessness that we may live by the power of your spirit and in your name, amen. Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 21, one through 11. When Jesus and the disciples drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find an ass tethered and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them here to me. And if anyone should say anything to you, reply, The master has need of them. Then he will send them at once. This happened so that what had been spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Say to the daughter Zion, Behold, your king comes to you, meek and riding on an ass, and of a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had ordered them. 
They brought the ass and the colt and laid their cloaks over them, and he sat upon them. The very large crowd spread their cloaks out on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and strewn them on the road. The crowds preceded him, and those following kept crying out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken and asked, Who is this? And the crowd replied, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Take a moment to reflect on the passage. The text says, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken and asked, Who is this? Who was this group that was so shaken by all the excitement Jesus was causing? Why was it important for Jesus to ride in on a donkey, a donkey being a symbol of peace? History speculates that the estimate of the actual number of people flooding into Jerusalem for the annual feast was enormous. According to the Roman historian Josephus, over 250,000 lambs were sacrificed that year. Even at a very low estimate of 10 people for each lamb, the number of people assembled would have amounted to almost 2.7 million. That number does not even include the people who were present, but unable to partake in the sacrifice due to impurities ascribed by ceremonial laws. So imagine for a moment being in the crowd. The crowd is shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What would be your thoughts and feelings running through your mind if you were in that crowd? How would you feel? What would be the experience? Take a moment and reflect on that.
The scriptures tell us that before the beginning of the procession, Jesus paused and wept over Jerusalem. This is found in Luke 19. A little later, the text tells us that the procession begins with Jesus riding in on a donkey, being celebrated, palm branches being spread, coats being laid across the floor, and him riding in to this majestic and ceremonial greeting. Then in Luke 19, it tells us that after he comes into the city, he cleanses the temple. So he moves from weeping to celebration to cleansing. Reflect for a moment on that same pattern in our own life. The pattern of weeping or lamenting during Lent, a period of celebration and wonder, and a period of being cleansed. Reflect on the work of Jesus in your life during Holy Week. For our benediction, new community, may we enter into this holy week with open hearts. May we experience the love, mystery, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ as we go about our week. And because of his love, may we have the eyes to see those in need of hope, those in need of kindness, those in need of forgiveness, those in need of compassion, and those in need of healing. This Holy Week, may we, New Community, lean into Christ's deep love for His people and be the church to those around us. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.